Amen. Well, good morning, Four Points. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Happy Easter. Are you excited to be here on Easter? Guys, I'm giddy. <laughs> I'm giddy about Easter. You know, sometimes pastors feel like this is like the most pressure on Easter, right? But this is like the best message to preach. The resurrection of Jesus. I'm so excited to share from God's word with you this morning about that. But before we get started, I just want to extend a special welcome to you if you're here for the very first time. Let's hear it for the people who are here for the very first time. You're like, oh man, everyone's clapping for me. This is so awkward. It's like being at the restaurant when they say it's your birthday and everybody's like coming up around you. By the way, I want to shoot people when they do that to me. So we won't do that to you, but we're very excited um, that you're here. And something that you're going to learn really quick about Four Points Church is this. Hey, welcome to level ground. There's no heroes here, just one hero. Right? There's, no, there's nobody here who's, who's higher than you. There's nobody here that God loves more than you. There's nobody here that God wants to work through more than you. It's level, guys. I'm the biggest idiot at four points, and here I stand, right, with a microphone. I don't know why. But welcome to the family at four points. We're excited that you're here and we pray that God just moves in your life to bring you closer and closer um, to us. So today is Easter and we are starting a new series and this new series is called You Belong Here. And here's what we're after with this series. To address this sense of belonging or a lack of sense of belonging in our society. I'm going to venture to say, but I've read research that would support me in saying that right now we live in the loneliest time in all of history. Four out of five of us is struggling with loneliness in a very real way. Four out of five. I mean, look around you. What is that, like 90% of us? Struggling to feel like there's a place to belong, people to belong to, a place to belong at. And here's the crazy thing. I'm not giving you permission to smoke. I, I have a pipe um, for when I'm watching Lord of the Rings, but um, <laughs> salted pork. Um, but <laughs> some of you who are old enough to like those movies know what I'm talking about. My first favorite movies are Jason Bourne series. I don't know if you know what those are, but anyway, moving on to more important things. But here's on a side note, scientists say that, that, that the effect on your mortality from loneliness is the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I mean, we're all the time seeing, you know, warnings about cancer and lung cancer and they're real, right? Like they're real. But four out of five of us is struggling with loneliness and may have the same result in our lives. Belonging. There are two places where you and I typically look for a sense of belonging. One of them is our family, right? Here's the thing about that. Not everyone feels at home in their family. Some of you right now, you're looking at me and you're like, I have an estranged relationship with my parents. Like maybe you had an abusive parent or an absent parent or maybe you lost a parent. I talk about a sense of belonging in your family. You don't know what that means. So for some of us, we get a belonging in our family. Others, it's more difficult. Second place where we get a sense of belonging is our friendships. But here's the thing about friendships. You know, it's harder for some people to make friends I mean, just that statistic, four out of five. I mean, there you go. That's how hard it is to make friends. And, and man, sometimes it's the people who seem like the most exuberant and the most charismatic that have like the most shallow relationships. Like you may be able to call 100 people friend, but you don't talk about anything but football with them. 
or clothes or cars or I mean, whatever it is. So you're still lonely. Personality doesn't make the difference. My wife and I are, are like night and day different personalities, right? She'll be the most loyal friend you'll ever make, but she likes to follow me around in crowds of people. I'm like, hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Because she's not going to do that, right? It's easier for me to make friends. But listen, I have a lot of people I know. I don't have a ton of people that I trust that I talk to about stuff. We live in a very lonely society and I'm guilty too. I'm not preaching to you. To us. So today I want to talk about and begin looking at a third place where you and I can find a sense of belonging. And that's the church. Now I don't mean steeples, dress clothes, you know, structures, religion. That's not what I'm talking about when I say church. So here's what I mean when I say church. A community of people who love Jesus and are doing life together. That's what I mean. If you're visiting this morning, that's who Four Points wants to be. Okay, I'm sure we don't always get that right. I'm sure there's people who show up at Four Points and say, man, they're posers, right? I mean, inevitably, that's what we want to be. Because that's what a church is. And I think that you may find in a church maybe the most belonging you've ever found. But it hinges on something very important. And that's one relationship in particular. And that's the relationship I want to talk about today. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is the starting point for our sense of belonging everywhere else. It all starts with that one relationship. So this morning's message is called, You Belong with Jesus. You belong with Jesus. Let's get into it. I've got four truths I want to share with you about God relating to a sense of belonging that we can have to God. I have four points at four points, right? (laughs) That is not why we're called four points. I don't do that every week. Uh, Some weeks I try to, you know, have two points just to throw everybody off. Good Baptists have three points, you know, but some, we're just all over the place. Um, but let's get started. So truth number one about God. God is real. God is real. Now what I'm about to say is not for everyone, but it is for someone. God told me to share this point because it's for someone. There is someone or someone's here you, maybe you've been going to church your whole life, but you've, you've battled this nagging feeling of maybe it's all a lie. Or maybe you're just bought in halfway because you don't want to risk your whole life on something you're not absolutely tr- sure is even true. Like, is God there? Do I know that God is there? So before we start talking about who God is, I want to knock it out of the way for someone, this truth. I'm going to prove it to you scientifically that God is absolutely and undeniably real. You ready? So I do this thing called apologetics. Anybody know what that is? It's like the opposite of apologizing, okay? Like apologetics is the art of arguing. I'm I'm working on a doctorate degree in apologetics, I get to speak on college campuses about how do we know the Bible is reliable? Like, how do we know that God is real? What about evolution and God? All these things. I love these questions. It's fun, okay? But this morning, I want to talk just on a very basic level in our very first point, how you can know that God is real. But let me ask you a question, and you need to put your thinking cap on, okay? If I take my phone, and I put it on this table right here, and I don't touch this phone at all, and no one touches that phone, and there's not an earthquake, and this fan doesn't blow that phone. In fact, no force acts upon it at all. Will it move by itself? Let's be good scientists. Will it move by itself? No. It can't. It's the law of motion. Remember Isaac Newton? It's the law of motion, okay? This phone has to be acted upon by an outside force, and then it reacts to that force. Okay, this is how motion works. 
Nowhere in the natural world has there ever been anything that ever started moving by itself. Never. It's a scientific law. So here's the mind-blowing truth this morning. Do you know the universe is moving? What made it move the first time? It could not have started by itself. You cannot be a good scientist and say it's always been moving. That is a very unscientific, unintelligent answer. What started it moving the very first time? Let me ask you another question. If I walked outside and I pulled these, this phone out of the shrubs over there by 101 and I said, hey, look what I found growing in the grass. Would you think I was brilliant or stupid? <laughs> you'd think I was dumb. And the reason you'd think I was dumb is this phone looks nothing like grass. It doesn't look like it grew in the grass. In fact, it really looks like someone made this, right? Like it has a purpose to it. It's very complex, You'd think it's nuts for me to say, hey, this, this developed randomly out in the parking lot. Amidst all the other rocks, I found this rock. <laughs> right? You'd call me a fool. If Charles Darwin was here, he'd call me a fool. Okay? Here's the problem. Do you know that your eyeball is way more complex than this phone? In fact, scientists don't know everything there is to know about an eyeball. They're still working on it. It's very complex. So how crazy is it for you to say that you came about like random? That doesn't make sense. That's like me throwing a grenade into my minivan and it blowing up and then like, like spelling the email addresses of all the four-point staff. Order doesn't come from chaos. You can't be a good scientist and say that order came from chaos. There's no testable, repeatable examples anywhere ever of that ever happening. Let's take it to another level. I'm going to open my phone up. I'm going to push this button on my iPhone 6. It still works. Um, <laughs> says Facebook Messenger, 34 minutes ago, notification, Right? It says 1151, Sunday, April 21st, right? That in scientific terms is a recognizable code and pattern. And here's what that means. It means that those are numbers and letters that have been um, created and ordered in a way to be understood by someone else. Okay, does that make sense? It's a code, it's a pattern, it's meant to be interpreted. Well, in the natural world, you never find a code or pattern anywhere that an intelligent mind did not create. It wouldn't make sense. We understand 1152, Sunday, April 21st, because that was created by an intelligent person for intelligent people to read and understand. They do not come about randomly. Do you know that your body has a recognizable code and pattern in it? It's called DNA. So what intelligent source put DNA in your body? Guys, just, just think about it. There is absolutely no doubt whatsoever that God is there. He is real. That nagging doubt, just tell it to shut up. <laughs> or do the research. I did. But what you're going to find is the same truth that I found. God is real. So here's the question. If God is real, who is he? Who is he? Truth about God number two. God loves you. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Follow along with me as we read through this passage of Scripture. Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome. Here's one of the things he says to him. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we, that's you and me and him, were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Still us. Okay. 
For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Here's what Paul's doing. He's using a logical argument from common sense. People, people, our, our bodies, our minds, we want to survive. We were made to survive. It's not normal for you to want to give your life for someone else. That's not a normal feeling. Okay? No, you don't see soldiers on the battlefield just being like, hey, I'm going to take, you know, my M4 and I'm going to hand it to that guy and I'm going to let him shoot me. You know? That would be a very stupid thing to do. People weren't made to give their lives for someone else. And Paul says, you know what, maybe there's someone who's really righteous or really well respected that someone would be willing to die for them. Maybe. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, this is not a religion that people made up. That doesn't make any sense to the human mind whatsoever. I would love to be the pastor who has a really cool illustration of how this kind of sacrifice works, but there isn't one. There's only one. Jesus, he's the only one who loves like that. He's the only one who loves his enemies enough to die for every single one of them. He's the only one. You might be saying to yourself, well, you know what, Phil, I would die for my kids. Yeah, but guess what? Your kids don't treat you the way you treat God. That's not so miraculous after all. Or maybe you're thinking, Phil, I would die for my wife right now. You know, well, guess what? Your wife doesn't treat you the way that you treat God. In fact, when you fight with your wife, you get to make up sometimes, right? There's benefits, But God demonstrates his love in that while we were still indifferent, hateful, disinterested, selfish, sinful, he died for us. And here's, man, here's another crazy truth. When Jesus died for you, because he... 2,000 years ago, he knew you in particular. He knew you. He knew you specifically. He knew your struggles. He knew your sins. He knew your life story. He knew what you've done and he knew what happened to you. He knows all of it. And still, he gave his life for you and me. He didn't do it in some blind ignorance. I guess I love everybody. I just die for everyone. No, God knows everything. He knew you specifically when he died for you. He knew exactly what he was paying for. He knew the tab. He paid it. God's love for you is so extraordinary, you will not find it anywhere else but Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, I try to love this way, but I blow it all the time. You just ask my kids how mad I get sometimes, right? God is real. God loves you. Truth about God number three. God rescued you. Let's keep reading in Romans chapter five. We're at verse nine. Since we have now been justified by his blood, meaning because of Jesus' death on the cross, we've been, we've been forgiven of all the wrong things that we've done. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath or God's justice through him? We over-spiritualize this word saved. You know, it's kind of like the word faith. We use faith in all kinds of contexts, but you know what faith really means? Trust. It just means trust. 
And this word saved, like you're saved, he's saved, my brother's saved, 10 saved. Like we, we, we over-spiritualize this word. You know another way to translate this word for saved? Rescued. Rescued. So what comes to your mind when you think of being rescued? We have a short video of something that comes to my mind when I think of being rescued. So that little girl was sitting in this village in Iraq, surrounded by dead bodies. She was just sitting there in the midst of these dead bodies. And that was the, uh, the founder of a Christian organization called the Free Burma Rangers. And it's an organization of all former military special forces guys who now work and intervene in communities where people are being killed and persecuted. And he didn't hesitate, did he? It's like you can see the moment he saw her. And then like, he wasn't even like, boys, cover me. You know what I mean? He just was like, and the other two guys were like, crap. You know, like they're like, we got to make sure he doesn't get shot. And then he comes back with this little girl who had no hope of coming out of that place without help. It's a rescue. And when Jesus came into the world, guys, he came into the world on a rescue mission. He came after you in the midst of the dead, in the midst of death, except he gave his life to rescue you and me. What did he rescue us from? The first thing he rescued us from is our sins. Sins are just a like fancy Christian word for wrong stuff, okay? Decisions you and I make that we know don't please God. And when I say please God, don't get this idea of God up in heaven like naughty, naughty, naughty. You know, like, mm -mm -mm, you know, or like the God with like the lightning bolts, just like zapping people like this is not who God is at all. But God looks down from heaven and he sees you making these decisions that are not right. They're not holy. He's holy. They're not holy. They're not right. And he's just watching you destroy your life. Anybody want to watch your kids destroy their lives? Some of you are experiencing that pain right now. You're thinking, yes, I have an estranged son or daughter. Yes, I, I know a little bit of that pain. Well, then you know a little bit of how God feels. When he sees a child in their sin, He rescues us from ourselves. You ever heard the term, I'm my own best enemy? <laughs> it's true. It's true of you and it's true of me. Most of the wrong decisions in my life come from me just wanting my, my way. Being selfish. Me, 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 me. Ask Corey. It's like my favorite word, me. Number three, he rescues us from others. Do you know that you're surrounded by a culture and people who are communicating things to you that lead you astray? That lead you down wrong paths? Maybe it's someone at work, the stuff they say to you. You know, maybe you got this guy who works next to you at the plant and he's, he talks about his wife like this, my old lady, my old lady, she this, my old lady, she that. And it's starting to, like you can tell he doesn't respect his wife and it's starting to make you not respect your wife. We need to be rescued from the influence of others around us. Things they say, things they do. Because every one of us need to be rescued from the judgment our sins deserve. God is just. Guys, listen, when he judges, he's just. When I judge, I'm not. I get it wrong. Think of it like a target. When I'm judging someone, like this diamond here, okay, this is, aren't these incredible? Like Austin and Josh and the guys made these. Incredible. 
Let's pretend that's a target, and I'm going to stand back as a guy who's never hunted or shot an arrow in his life, and, I, and I'm going to shoot the arrow, probably not going to hit the bullseye, right? You're going to see like, you know, arrows all over the place. I might get some in the right place. That's how it is when we judge people. We don't know the whole story. Sometimes we hit the nail on the head. Other times we're like way over here. Now God, when he judges, it's bullseye, 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 bullseye. He knows. And we deserve it. And we need to be rescued because we deserve it. Every one of us needs to be rescued from this continual urge that we have to do the wrong thing. We are our own worst enemy. I was driving to church yesterday, coming up 101 in our van, uh, which is a sport edition, by the way, because I, I have a lead foot. And we're driving, and this guy is trying to pass us. He's got like this, this like Cummins diesel Dodge truck, and he's pulling like a bunch of horses, you know? And so I'm just, you know, like I have eco mode, never use it. Never. I've never used it. And every time I get in the car, I switch it off of eco mode. And, but I'm, I'm just kind of going normal down the road. And all of a sudden, I hear the truck next to me like hit passing gear. And like the smoke plumes are pouring out. And just, you know. And I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, no, he didn't. <laughs> no, he did not. Right? But that's my selfish nature. I like to be first. <laughs> When I'm being a good boy, I take two lane roads everywhere because I want to race everyone. <laughs> I'm my own worst enemy and so are you. We needed to be rescued from that. You know, their spiritual warfare is a real thing. Okay? We know that. But listen, let me tell you something about the devil. He's not omnipresent. Let me tell you what that means. It's like a $10 theological word that just means everywhere, okay? God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. He's present everywhere, always. He's always everywhere, okay? That's true about God. It's not true about the devil. He can only be at one place at one time. I would venture to guess he's never tempted me. He probably has bigger fish to fry than me, Right? There's demons that I encounter, but listen, most of the temptation in my life comes from me. It comes from you. Listen to James chapter one, verse 13. James is like the apostle of shin kicking, okay? When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anybody. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after their desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. In other words, like whatever it is you're thinking about, it eventually becomes your actions. Right? And then he says that sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. This is why God hates sin. He doesn't hate you. He hates sin because it's destroying you. That's why Jesus died, because he loves you. Listen, nobody goes to hell except over Jesus' dead body. He did everything he needed to do to prove to every person for all of time, from everywhere and every circumstance, that he loves them. He proved it. Done. Guys, just like the child in that video, you and I are helpless to save ourselves. You and I can't make our sins right with God. You know what God calls us as believers to do? We, we do need to make it right with other people. When we treat other people wrong, we need to make it right. That's what the Bible says. God never needs to make it right for me because he never does anything wrong to me. And I can never make it right with God because my deeds will never get there. I don't have it in me to be holy. Not without his help. 
You might be here today thinking, well, I am pretty holy. Mm. If you feel that way this morning, you need to come to know Jesus for the first time. I'm telling you. Guys, this is for someone in the room because I haven't said this in either of the other services. If you're here today and you feel like your life is good, like you're giving God enough, you don't know him. You don't know him. There's a disconnect between understanding how much you need him. And you and I can never do that on our own. Something I've learned in 20 years of ministry (laughs) is that the people who try the hardest to look the cleanest are the dirtiest. Side note, if 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 you're looking for a spiritually mature person to be a mentor in your life, do you know how to tell someone with spiritual maturity? Humility. It's not how loud they preach. Listen to me, guys. Famous preachers are falling left and right. They're having affairs and saying that I didn't have control over my body. It's not what James says. I didn't go there either in the other services. I don't know who that's for. Maybe me. <laughs> Look for people with spiritual humility. Those are the ones who really know. Listen to verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Guys, this is like the most exciting part of today. Jesus didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. Like his death is good news for us. It brings about our justification, our salvation, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus rose from the dead and we, we have a new life in him. What he achieved in his resurrection, he gives to us. I can go and see where Muhammad is buried. I can go and see where Gandhi is buried. I can't go and see where Buddha is buried because he was cremated and some of his teeth are over there and some of his hair is over there. But I can go find a piece of him and see that he is dead. And every founder of every false religion is dead, dead, dead. In the ground, you can see them, they're there. Where is their power? Why are these folks dead? They were these spokesmen for God? The spokesmen for truth? But they're dead. What power is that? Powerless. Power. Less, power, less. But Jesus is not in a grave. He's alive. And he's seated with the Father. Mm. It's about to get real in here. You ready? So why does this matter for you? Ephesians chapter two, verse one, listen to this. It's Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. What a weird name for a city. As for you, this is us again, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler and the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is poetic language talking about what we just talked about, that the devil's evil influence is all around us, Okay. Verse 3, all of us, now he's talking to Christians, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, this is our hearts and our minds, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, 
We were by nature deserving of wrath or judgment or justice. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Aren't you glad that God is rich in mercy? Made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. In other words, you didn't do this, dummy. God did. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this verse. In order that in the coming ages, that means a long, long time, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Guys, just like Jesus rose up victoriously from the grave and ascended to the place of authority and honor with Father God in heaven, this passage is telling us that he's done the very same thing with us. Taking us from the lowest position and put us in the highest position. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, he takes us from being in the lowest position, spiritually dead in our sin and shame, and he places us in the highest position, seated in the seat of honor with him. In this culture, guys, in this ancient culture, it's all about honor. It's all about place of honor. It's about banquets and tables. And this passage is saying there's a table. There's a place of honor. God sits there. Jesus sits there. And he puts you and me there when we surrender our lives to him. Maybe you feel like you are in a pit today, but you don't have to be in a pit. God will take you out of that pit. And he will put you in a place of honor. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to be downtrodden. You don't have to be at the end of yourself. It's not over. Just reach out. God will rescue you because he loves you. And then this passage says that after you've been rescued, you buckle your seatbelt because for the rest of your life, God is gonna display the fulfillment of his promises in the adequacy of his love in your life and through your life. Guys, that is a good life. Jesus rescued you not just for tomorrow, but for today. I live in the benefit of his love right now. I don't have to wait till he comes back. I don't have to wait till I die. It'll be more real to me then probably. I can't wait to sit with Jesus and look him in the eye. But he's with us now. He's with you right now. He's closer to you than your own skin is. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's right here. You don't have to look up. You don't have to fold your hands. When you pray to bless the food, guess what? He already knows whether you're thankful or not. <laughs> I just say, mm, sometimes. That's my prayer <laughs> of gratitude. If you're stuck this morning, Jesus wants to rescue you. The last truth I want to look at is this. You belong with Jesus. You belong with Jesus. My absolute favorite verse of scripture, John chapter 14, verse two says this. Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. You know, some translations, early translations say mansions. I'm sorry, the Greek here is rooms. There are no mansions in heaven, but there is one great big one and there's a room for you. My father's house has many rooms. 
If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Do you ever wonder what Jesus was thinking? When those soldiers put a fake robe on his back and a fake crown on his head and they beat him to the point where most people would have died already. What was he thinking? He didn't have to experience that. He could have at any moment just reached back and grabbed the wrist of the one who was whipping him and it would have been the end of the story. He could have taken Pilate over his knee and spanked his bottom. He didn't have to put up with this. Jesus said it himself, don't you know that I could call legions from heaven? That's thousands of soldiers. Crucifixion day could have been a Jerusalem massacre. And he would have been 100% justified. I mean, what God lets himself be crucified? What was he thinking? When he was hanging on that cross, struggling for breath. You don't die from bleeding on a cross, you die from suffocation. Because you can no longer pull your body up enough to breathe. And those last breaths, with no strength in his arms, why didn't he just give himself a little extra strength? Why didn't he just come down? What was he thinking? You ever wonder what Jesus was thinking when he came out of the grave? What was he looking forward to? What's Jesus thinking about right now? What's he looking forward to? I'll tell you, because he told us. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. Do you know what the end game is for Jesus? You with him forever. That's what he wants. That's what was worth it. You're worth it to him. That little girl couldn't get off of that battlefield by herself. She had no worth to anyone. But that man gave her worth when she became worth it to him. And you're worth it to God. You might be sitting here today and you're thinking, you know what, Phil? Like, I really just showed up at church because it was Easter. <laughs> My mom nagged me. I grew up going to church, man. I just thought it'd be a good idea. You're thinking to yourself, you know, this salvation thing, Phil, it's for someone else. You know, somebody else who's lived better than me. Somebody who's a little more worthy of what Jesus did than me. Well, what is it that you've done that you think disqualifies you from the love of God? Are you a drunk? Are you a thief? Are you a murderer? Are you a prostitute, a pimp, a drug user, a wife abuser? What? Guys, God doesn't care. We're all sinners. No one's worthy. Just loved. 
Isn't that better? You might be here today thinking, Phil, I, I don't know. And it's not because of something you've done. That's not what you're thinking about right now. Maybe you're thinking of what someone else has done to you. I say God is a good father and you think, what's a good father? Maybe you were abused, beaten, raped, neglected, molested, abandoned. And ever since then, God has just been another one of those authority figures in your life you just don't trust. God, why did you let that happen to me? Right? Listen. God did not create this world for perfection. He created this world for redemption. And in order to have a world where people could freely choose redemption, he had to make people absolutely free to make good decisions and to make bad decisions. And maybe you've experienced some very bad decisions. Rest assured, you better pray for God's mercy for that person because if they don't seek God's mercy, justice will come. The Bible says he's patient right now. It's First Peter. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day is gonna come where justice happens and God will hold abusers accountable. Maybe you're here today and you're an abuser. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. There's nothing you've done that God won't forgive. Doesn't matter what you've done or what someone else has done to you. You're worthy because he values you, because he loves you, because he paid the price for you. So here's the invitation. Someone's here today. You've never been rescued. You may be like, why the heck am I here? <laughs> right? Maybe that's you. I know why you're here. You think it was your choice. You think it was random. It wasn't. That inclination to show up at church or to li actually listen to your parents this time, that was actually the Holy Spirit. Because God loves you and he wants you to come home. Maybe the rest of us have experienced a rescue, but we forgot. We remember the vibrancy we had in our faith, but now we're filling our hearts with all the things we used to fill it with before. We're not living that life from taken from the depths and now placed in the highest place. We've, we've, we've climbed back down Listen, the decisions that we make with God, they're not magic tricks. They're not special words. You're not Dorothy and you're not gonna click your heels three times and go to heaven, right? Salvation is not a magic trick. It's a decision. It's you deciding right now that you're tired of life on your terms that you want to let God rescue you to have a new life. And that prayer maybe looks something like this. God, I screw up all the time. Your word says I'm a sinner. I agree with you. I am. Your word also says that your son Jesus died for my sins. And I believe that. Today I believe that. Today I receive that. Please forgive me. And please 
be Lord of my life. I don't want life my way anymore. I want my life your way. When you pray a prayer like that, guys, in your words, you're just raising your hand up for him to grab it. And he won't hesitate. He won't hesitate for a second. He'll just grab it because you've been waiting for it. Or maybe you need to pray, God, I remember being rescued, but I've lost my first love. God, today, Lord, give me just a renewed heart to walk in your love and to live in your love. So I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or do a dance or come down to the front. Here's how we do this at four points. In your seat, there is a card. And all I'm asking is that if you pray a prayer of any kind, that you just fill it out and you check that box. That's not so we can spam you. (laughs) We won't do that. You're not a notch in our belt buckle to try to say, hey, we're we're a good church because somebody gave their heart to Jesus. That's not what we're doing. The reason we want you to check that box is so that we can be family to you. So that we can walk alongside of you, not from above, but from alongside. And as we sing this next song, I just want to invite you. We have a prayer room right here. You can see these curtains and there's going to be folks in there who are just there to pray for you. All right. So like maybe you, you prayed to receive Christ and you want to talk to someone, there's someone in there. Maybe you want to pray to have a renewed heart of God's love. There's someone in there to pray with you about that. Maybe you're dealing with an addiction there's someone in there to pray with you about that. Maybe there's some other bondage in your life. There's someone in there. Maybe you're at the end of yourself. There's somebody in there to pray with you about that. And I just want to invite you to go in your own time and on your own terms so we can come alongside you. Father, thank you for the seeds you planted through your word. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, for your extravagant, inexpressible love. We receive it and we love you because you loved us first. Thank you for taking the first step. In Jesus' name, amen.